to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. Well, it's great to be back here and to see you all, to be at Sojourn. Uh, I had a great time here last time, and sorry Olivia couldn't be here. She's taking care of Bear, but uh, hopefully sometime soon you guys will get to meet him. So we're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. If you want to get out your Bible and turn there, we'll be in the New Testament and the Gospel according to John chapter 6, verses 48 to 58. 48 to 58. All right. So starting in verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For the flesh, or sorry, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of my Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so in 2017, Olivia and I got married and went on our honeymoon to Tulum, Mexico. So if you're not familiar with Tulum, it's about an hour south of Cancun. And I was really excited because it's my first time to experience an all-inclusive resort. So you got to pay to play up front, but once you're there, you don't have to worry about money or anything. You just get to have fun. You get to play. You get to eat all the food your heart desires. And if there's something you need to know about me is that I'm a terrible eater. Like I make the worst decisions when it comes to my diet. I will eat the sweetest things, the fattest things, all the salt and sugar I can get. And so for a while, I'm living on about 90% carbs and not enough water for most of the week. Doing great, having fun, enjoying my honeymoon. And then towards the very end, I started to crash and my digestive system was just completely destroyed and I felt terrible and I got really, really sick. And that happens honestly pretty often. So eventually, a couple months ago, Olivia had to teach me how to eat and think wisely about my diet. And so for me, this was like a rude awakening for adulting. Like I can't just eat whatever I want. I actually have to exercise and eat vegetables and drink water regularly. And in a similar way for us here this morning, we often live spiritually malnourished lives, kind of like I was living malnourished on my honeymoon. We eat and we depend upon the wrong sources for spiritual flourishing. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to be a little introspective 
and really start to test and examine your heart and try and find the ways you're trying to go through life and navigating it without looking to Christ for your source of life and flourishing. And that's what Jesus wants to do here in John chapter six. He's inviting us to see that he alone is our sufficient source for life and flourishing, that you need Jesus, that I need Jesus, that we're actually created to abide and depend on him for our life and our salvation. So this morning, we're gonna look at two main ideas and just keep it simple. One is that man shall not live on bread alone. Man shall not live on bread alone. And two, man shall live on the bread of life. Man shall live on the bread of life. So point number one, man shall not live on bread alone. Before we dive in, uh, John 6 is really long. And to save you guys and spare you from being here all day and your tummy's rumbling, I'm just gonna do a really quick recap. So up until this point, Jesus has been going around performing miracles, signs, and wonders so that people would know that he is the son of God and the savior of the world. But unfortunately, people don't seem to get that. And it makes sense, like they're excited because he's going around freely fixing all their felt needs. So, you know, recently in John 6, he multiplied thousands and thousands of fish and bread to feed an entire crowd. Or at one point at a party, he turned water into wine. So it's not surprising that this guy's popular and the crowd is growing and growing, following him everywhere, wanting to get a taste of him, wanting to get a little bit more from him. And where we are today in John 6, Jesus is in Capernaum teaching in a synagogue and the crowds are anxiously and excitedly looking for him, seeking him out, trying to get more freebies from him, right? And you can imagine like if this guy is giving free wine and free food, what is the point of working? You could just follow him around and live off of him the rest of your life. It'd be a great deal. But Jesus, when they approach him, he knows why they're there. He can read their mind and he can sense what is actually the desire of their heart. And it's not for him, it's for stuff. It's for what he can give them. And Jesus loves serving people. He loves meeting their needs, but there is way more that he longs to give you than just material things. And so he challenges them, stop searching for bread that perishes, but look for food that does not perish and gives you eternal life. So look with me, we're gonna jump to verses 27, sorry, 26, 27, and 49. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you see signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And now let's jump over to 49. He says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. So from the beginning here, what Jesus is saying to the crowd and what he's saying to us this morning is that apart from Jesus, you are malnourished. That the solutions that the crowd is seeking out fall way too short of what they actually desperately need. They keep settling for temporary fixes. But like the recent miracle, yeah, he could give them all the bread they desire, but bread can go stale and it can rot. So yeah, Jesus could feed them over and over again. He could heal them of their illnesses. He could raise people from the dead. But at the end of the day, people still get sick again. They're still gonna be hungry again. They're still gonna be thirsty again. And everyone he raises from the dead at this point is still gonna die. So it's not enough. 
And that's just it. Everyone ultimately dies in this life. So whatever life you build for yourself here in this life, whatever you can do, whatever you can accomplish, or even if, say, it's an example of a, min- or of a, a miracle where Jesus heals someone, And they have this great comeback story where they're a leper cast out by society and they go on to be the successful merchant in the city and live this amazing life. And it's this beautiful story. They're still going to die and nothing that they've accomplished, they can take with them. That's because the real issue that Jesus is trying to help them understand is that they're spiritually dead apart from him. They are spiritually starved and famished because their sin makes them dead. It separates them from God. And only in relationship with God can you have the real source of real, lasting, eternal life. Dead in your sin is how all of us enter the world. And if you live apart from Christ and you die apart from Christ, that's how you'll exit this world as well. Not only this, but Jesus wants to tell us that you are an unsatisfied people. So in my heart and in your heart, we're kind of like Simon Cowell from American Idol and whatever other talent show he does. We're all rocking our black V-neck, sitting there at the judge's table, looking at God. And we have the audacity to judge his performance, giving him a performance review. Like, God, you're just not cutting it. You're doing awful. Like, I'm not nearly as happy as I could be. Why don't you get it together? And that's because our sinful hearts make us never content. So even though you daily experience God's grace and his provision for exactly what you need that day, you could honestly come up with a long list of ways he can make you much happier. And you're never nearly as thankful as you should be towards God. And we see that exact posture of heart here in John 6 with the crowd. All they want is to see a bigger and better miracle over and over again. And when Jesus tells them, hey, I've got eternal life, I will gladly and freely give you eternal life. He says, all it requires is believing in me. They start to tense up and they start to doubt him. And so they challenge him. They said, well, okay, here's the deal. If you can perform a miracle greater than Moses with the manna in the wilderness, then maybe we'll consider following you. Maybe you could be our savior. So what he's referring to here is back in Exodus, the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness. It's scorching hot. There's no food. There's no water. They had just been rescued out of Egypt And they start to complain. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're tired. And they're like, Moses, what are you doing? You've literally brought us out here to die. Like we were better off as slaves than wandering out here as people. And so what God does is he graciously brings about manna or bread from heaven and he feeds them every single day, aside from the Sabbath, every single day for 40 years, which is incredible. And so the crowd here is like, if you could do something like that, then like maybe we'll consider you good enough for us. But what they are forgetting is that the Israelites were not satisfied with the manna in the wilderness. As incredible as that miracle was, they wanted meat too. They were hungry for meat. And so they cried and they bickered and God graciously provided them quail to have with their bread. None of us are satisfied. Nothing God can do for us materially is ever enough. We always want more. There's got to be something next. And so I want to pause here and for a second really wrestle with these ideas. Because I think especially if this room is full of a lot of Christians, it's easy for us to hear this message and be like, yeah, I know this. Jesus is the bread of life. This is like Christianity 101. I've checked that box off. I've already converted. Like I'm ready for other stuff, right? 
And so usually John 6 and this idea of the bread of life, it's only used for evangelism, for unbelievers to see that, yeah, God's the bread of life. If you would feast on God as your savior for eternal life, you can be saved. You can experience life that you'll never find elsewhere. But that's still true for us as believers, as Christians. And yet that's the message we often ignore. We're tempted to graduate from Jesus and his gospel as if God has more for us beyond Jesus. So for many of you, you might find yourself this morning a lot like the Israelites and that life can feel like the wilderness. You can feel the pressure and the heat of life bearing down on you and it's overwhelming you. So for all of us, that looks like different things. That could be like division and conflict with your family and your extended family. That could look like COVID being really difficult on you financially. You took a big hit and now you're stressed how you're gonna provide for your family and your kids. It could look like sickness and death that you've experienced among your family and your friends. Or maybe you've developed anxiety and depression from life circumstances. But like our passage says, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you have him every day of your life to sustain you. You should not worry about those things. You can get through those things. And yet, like the manna, we become complacent with God and his grace. We become disinterested in following Jesus and being his disciple. You no longer find Jesus to be the beautiful and wonderful savior he was at first. Your relationship with Jesus has become platonic. And he's like your insurance agent. He's just ensuring you, you don't go to hell, but that's it. It's no longer relational. It's no longer personal. It's just business. It's just a transaction for salvation. So what do you do then? Because we have to do something to get through this life. What are you going to do? Where are you going to turn if you're not looking to Christ for your source of eternal life, for your source of salvation? I would argue that you medicate that all of us medicate in different ways. So for me, I really struggle with anxiety. And so escapism is a really easy way for me to forget about what I'm going through. That can look like uh, college football. I'm a graduate of the University of Oklahoma, so I'm a huge OU football fan. I literally live and die off our wins and losses. Every year they break my heart. And recently, you probably saw in the news, they've announced they're going to the SEC. So we're actually joining the most toxic fandom in the universe, which is only going to increase my idolatry for football. So pray for my wife, pray for my family and friends. My sister's here. She's an Oklahoma State grad. She needs grace in this time. Or maybe it's filling my quiet moments in life with podcasts, which sounds maybe trivial, but actually like I'm always listening to podcasts because I'm afraid to sit in of my thoughts and my anxiety. And, you know, podcasts are like two hours long sometimes. You can literally listen forever and constantly feed on content. But the problem is that's taking me away from time in God's word and time praying and intimately knowing him. For you, escape in life might look like binging seasons of a TV show every night of the week or spending your whole week listening to audiobooks and podcasts. Maybe spend your weekends watching golf so guys, that's Thursday through Sunday, you're distracted. And if you're a football fan like me, that's at least nine hours on Saturday and then again on Sunday if you wanna catch all the best games. Maybe you've grown a dependency on having a drink or a couple of drinks every night at the end of the day. Maybe you live off the dopamine you get every time you purchase something on Amazon. 
over time accumulating more and more stuff that's soon going to lose your interest. Or maybe you live for the approval of social media, longing to be seen, known, appreciated, recognized. The narrative that you and I have bought from our culture is that Jesus is not sufficient and is not enough. So we have to figure out on our own how to get through life, how to medicate. And that usually looks like filling our time with distractions. Our only hope is not Jesus, not his life, death, resurrection, not his loving ministry to us every day. It's actually looking towards our free time, spending it on our personal interests. We actually work really, really hard all week to build our lives around our desires that we crave. So here's a challenging but helpful diagnostic for your spiritual health. Is there anything in your life, if it was to be taken from you or never given to you, that would cause you to stop following Jesus? If you were to lose a spouse, a child, your job, the ability to do your favorite activity or go to your favorite places, and here's the deal, like, this is Sojourn Church. It's part of the Harbor Network. I go to an Acts 29 church. These are more Reformed-leaning churches. We have a tendency to look down on other churches that teach the prosperity gospel. This idea that God owes us anything or that we can earn God's favor to give us more and more things. But if we're honest, that tendency exists in all of our hearts, does it not? So if I'm mostly obedient, if I pray sometimes, and I've read some of the books of the Bible, and I'm at church most of the week, then God at least is going to give me a spouse, right? He at least owes me kids. And like, we'll all be healthy and be happy together. And God will give me at least a middle class or upper middle class salary and a spacious house and new cars that don't break down all the time. And my kids have to go to college. Like, where else are they going to go? What, what, what's going to happen to them? And if anything, God, at least give me the ability to live to old age so I can spend as much time with my family as possible. Just give me that. If anything or everything I mentioned is not guaranteed or taken away from you, would Jesus still be enough? Would you still consider Jesus to be good? Here's what I'm not saying. A lot of things I've listed are actually good and fun and enjoyable. And God is a happy God. He wants us to be happy and to enjoy life. The problem is these are the things we often look to first and most often for our sense of purpose, our sense of identity, and the solution for the emptiness that exists in our soul. And so the remedy or prescription for this problem of our heart is the same for both unbelievers and Christians alike, that you and I have to stop depending on material bread whatever that looks like for you. And we need to start daily feasting on and drinking in Jesus Christ, the bread of life, which sounds weird and doesn't really make sense at surface level. So we're going to unpack what that means, what that actually looks like in your life day to day. So this is my second and final point, that man shall live on the bread of life. Look with me now to verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So, pretty simple. There are two things that are necessary to experience Jesus Christ in your life here and now as the bread of life. First, you need to come to Jesus. You need to come to him, which seems really obvious. Like, you would just bypass that and forget 
But that's actually the thing we never do. For whatever reason, our heart's tendency is not to move towards Jesus every day. For whatever reason, whether we are guilty of sin or we're in a season of suffering, instead of moving towards Jesus for comfort and for forgiveness, we're scared to approach him because he's God and God is holy and God hates sin. So God must be tired of me and upset with me and want nothing to do with me. Or he's God and he's in heaven, so he's distant. Like there's no way I can actually personally connect with him. There's no way he actually knows what's going on in my life and cares about my circumstances. But the fact is that is not who Jesus is and that is not his heart. He actually wants you to come to him and he is moving towards you all the time. Jesus is accessible. Jesus is approachable. And his message time and time again is draw near to me, come to me. Let down your guard and open yourself up to me. And I want you to think about this. I think the reason why we struggle to think that Jesus loves us and loves to be with us and relate with us is because of our own hardness of heart and how we relate with one another. For whatever reason, we tend to be closed off and play hard to get when it comes to friends and our romantic relationships. We think way too highly of ourselves and therefore, people have to live up to our standard or be good enough to be our friend and spend time with us. But that is not who Jesus is. That is not what he's like. Even though Jesus is perfect and he's God in the flesh, he loves you so much. And he loves to draw near to you. He loves to befriend you and to help you. In fact, this is the story of the Bible. One of God's names is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so throughout human history, God has moved towards sinful people and lovingly changed their life for the better. So Jesus has come and permanently made a way for us to intimately know God, be cared for by him, and to be with him for eternity. Second, once you come to Jesus, it is necessary that you eat his flesh and you drink his blood. Okay, so that's, again, that makes no sense. It sounds crazy. So look with me to verses 53 through 56. This is what it says. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So what does this actually mean? What does this actually look like in my day-to-day life to experience Jesus, to eat his flesh, to drink his blood? Well, in verse 35, Jesus says that those who come to him and believe in him will never hunger or thirst. And then here in verse 56, he describes this as abiding in him and him abiding in us. So basically what this boils down to is faith, is trusting in the person of Jesus. But I especially love this depiction of the word abiding that's used here. It means to remain or be held or kept continually, to be one. So what on earth does that look like? Like, how does this actually help me tomorrow when I'm, when I'm anxious, when I'm tired, when I'm upset? First, it looks like encountering the real Jesus in God's word. That's actually the purpose for why we have the Bible. It's not some textbook or a collection of fables. It's actually God revealing himself to us 
so that the Father will adopt many men and women, boys and girls, into his family through the person and work of Jesus, and then given to us and applied to us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible does to people every single day. And so the Jesus that we have in our Bible that you're holding right now is the Jesus we have today, here and now. John Stott says this, that although 2,000 years separate us from the deed and word, Jesus Christ is, accept, is, sorry, Jesus Christ is accessible to us. We can reach him and we can know him. So by faith, you can actually interact with Jesus and personally know Jesus. And here are some things that are true about Jesus that we see in God's word that are true for us today. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of tax collectors, prostitutes, criminals, and lepers. He shares meals with them, and he intimately has conversations with them and gives them value and worth. He heals them, and he forgives them of their sins. Most importantly, Jesus died on the cross for sinners. He took our punishment, and he rose from the dead so that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for us. You can enjoy freedom of no longer being condemned as one covered in Jesus' blood. And you have an unshakable hope knowing that your body will be resurrected and glorified just like his. So the devil can no longer accuse you of your sin and death no longer can defeat you. Jesus makes time for children as well as anyone who approaches him humbly with childlike faith. Jesus prays for you. Do you ever think about that? He's praying for you now, personally, individually, praying for your heart, praying for your life. Jesus sees you. He intimately knows everything about you. He's spiritually walking amongst us and his people through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one providentially and sovereignly leading us, caring for us and providing for us every day of our life. Jesus heals you. He loves to heal you. He sympathizes with your weakness as one who was a man and is still a man. And he understands your fight against temptation every day. These are just some of the things that we see about Jesus in God's word that is true for you now. So by faith, you can actually come to this Jesus and experience him personally in these exact same ways that I've listed off. This means trusting and believing in him and these things to be true is necessary to actually experience it. It's kind of like your parents. When you're 13 years old, you kind of grow tired of your parents. You're tired of depending on them. But what do your parents love to do? They love to care for you, provide for you, show you affection. And Jesus is the same way. But how can you actually enjoy those things about your parents if you ignore them and push them off? That actually means to abide in your parents, you can receive their affection and take comfort in their protection and their care for your life. And that's what Jesus has to offer us if we would just trust and come to him. One more way to abide in Jesus is through prayer. It is crucial to abide through him through prayer. Michael Reeves calls prayer the primary way true faith expresses itself. This also means that prayerlessness is practical atheism, demonstrating a lack of belief in God. Prayer is the way we go from reading about Jesus in the scriptures 
to believing it to be true for us today, and then actually experience him, experiencing him and interacting with that same Jesus, to talk with him, to cry to him, to sit in silence and rest in him. Prayer is how we intimately enjoy and commune with Jesus, not divorced from God's word, but alongside and in response of what we see about Jesus and his word. So to conclude this morning, there may be some here, and there are obviously people elsewhere that don't believe in Jesus and they're not following him and they're fine with that. They think they're okay without him. Or maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you find yourself convicted by your lack of zeal for him and your complacency. Maybe you feel good about your relationship with Jesus. Like it's okay, it's not perfect, it never is, but it's, it's fine. And so you wanna take this message this morning and be reminded not to ignore him nor take him for granted. I want you to receive and take to heart what the apostle John writes elsewhere in the Bible in Revelation chapter three, verse 15 through 20. Here, Jesus is talking to John and he's instructing him to write seven personal letters from Jesus for seven specific churches. And then what I'm about to read to you guys is a letter from Jesus to the church at Laodicea, but it's also for us today. So as I read this letter to you, I want you to receive it like Jesus is speaking directly to you. This is what he has to say for us. I know your works. You were neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, here's the good news. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I'll eat with him and he will eat with me. So friends, come to Jesus, right? Open the door of your heart to him and receive him. Repent of the sin that dwells in your heart and be encouraged that he is perfectly patient and kind with us. John 6 tells us that all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Jesus promises to keep you, to protect you, to hold you, to carry you home to glory. So today, this week, in the remainder of your life, choose to feast on Jesus and not on food that perishes. All right, let's pray.